Hello, and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. I am really excited about the guest we have today. We have someone who is a professional runner and also a registered dietitian. She was really interesting to chat with. But before I get into the guest and what we actually talked about, I wanna do a little bit of housekeeping. I am giving away a $50 Amazon gift card to one lucky winner. All you have to do to be entered to win is to leave a rating on this podcast and then drop your username in the form which I will leave in the notes below in putting together a podcast and starting a podcast I've realized how important ratings are ratings or reviews and usually in iTunes I never used to do it before I listened to podcasts I never used to rate them and now I rate them all the time it really just helps get this podcast in front of more people and it's so simple you can just rate it as many stars as you want and leave one sentence kind of saying what you like or what you don't like about the podcast and I would really appreciate it so if you do that and you put your username in the form then you'll be entered to win a $50 Amazon gift card and I'll pick one winner a week. So I'm doing this for the next few weeks and I would really appreciate it if you participate. Okay, now that we did some housekeeping, let's chat about our guests. So the guest today is Maddie Am. She is born and raised in Boulder, Colorado, where she grew up playing soccer, which we chatted about, but that transitioned into running in high school. Then she walked onto her cross-country track team in college and ended up becoming an All-American in the 1500 meter by her fifth year. She really attributes her success to nutrition, which is why it was so interesting to talk to her. And then from there, she went on to get her master's in nutritional sciences from San Diego State University and completed her internship and became a dietitian. She currently is a professional runner with Team Boss in Boulder, Colorado, and she has her own sports nutrition consulting business called Fueling Forward, where she works with endurance athletes in high school, collegiate, and uh, professional level. It was a really interesting talk because she really talks about how nutrition was the big factor in her becoming as successful as she is. So I feel like everyday athletes can take inspiration from her and also learn from what she's saying about how fueling really helped her propel to the next level because all of us want to run our best races or perform at our best, even if we're not professionals. So I think what she had to say was really interesting in that regard. And we're gonna hop right into that chat right now. Hi, Maddie. Thanks so much for doing the podcast. Hi, Natalie. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm glad to be here. I'm really excited to chat with you. Like I said to you in when I reached out, I read about you in Runner's World. They did this really cool profile on you, and I just feel like it's a very interesting story. You're a dietitian and also a competitive runner, so I want to know more, and I just want to know <laughs> kind of how you kind of morphed into a competitive runner. Can you tell me just like a little bit about yourself and when you started running and how it evolved into something more for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Colorado, just outside of Boulder. um, And I actually grew up playing soccer. So I played soccer probably since I was in elementary school. And my parents had always tried to encourage me to go out for running. I think they saw my potential but I always told them I hated running and that I would never do it unless I was chasing a ball or, you know, had a reason to run. I just never liked it. 
Um, I think I tried track one time in middle school and I cried after the mile because it was so hard. And so I had decided that running wasn't for me. Um, but then in high school, my junior year, I had a friend who decided to go out for cross country. So I went to the summer running training with her a few times. Um, and I decided I was going to try out for the team. So I went to the time trial and I ended up making varsity. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of my running career. And then I actually played soccer at the same time while running most of my junior year, and then finally switched to just running my senior year, uh, which was really great for me. And then, you know, I, because I was so new to the sport running in college had never really registered with me that, that it was even an option. So it wasn't something that I had looked into really until the end of my senior track season, you know, and I was really enjoying it. And I thought, wow, maybe I do want to keep running. Um, but at that point I'd already applied to all my colleges and, you know, had basically planned to make my decision based on anything else besides running. Um, so I ended up choosing CU, um, and that was kind of what led me to the next part of my running career. And then from there, after you graduated now, you, do you compete professionally? I do now. Yes. That's awesome. So that, yeah. that was just kind of like evolved from your running career in college. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I ended up running in college. Um, I actually walked on to the CU cross country team. I didn't plan to run in college. I think I, I actually tried it for about a week, my freshman year and felt like it wasn't for me. So I actually didn't run the rest of my freshman year. Um, and then after freshman year was over, I decided I really missed running and having a team. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to try out again. <laughs> so I actually walked on for the second time, uh, my sophomore year. And that's when I stuck with it and continued to run with CU, um, for four years. So I did five years there and then continued running post-college as well. I'm sure they were very excited to have you. I, uh, it's funny when you talk about playing soccer, I I'm a runner, but not at the same capacity you are. I just do it recreationally. And I didn't start until I was in my late twenties, but I actually remember playing soccer when I was a child, I like kindergarten, first grade, my mom put me yeah. on a soccer team. And I remember after the game, I went up to her and I said, mom, this is too much running. I don't like this sport. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I see a lot of that with runners. They have some type of history with soccer. Yeah. It's, it's essentially running back and forth. That's exactly that's pretty funny. It's like one in the same. So after you graduated, then you, how, do, how does it work? Are you on a team? I don't really actually know how yeah. it works with professional runners. Like, how does it work? You become a professional runner. What does that mean? Yeah. Exactly? So, I mean, for me, I, I guess my story almost makes it more confusing because it hasn't been very linear. Um, for most people out of college, they get recruited by a brand or, you know, a team that's sponsored by a brand and then they kind of sign and they're sponsored and they have gear and some type of travel and, or, um, you know, like a salary paid to them as well. Um, for me, same situation as when I was leaving high school, I actually wasn't a very good runner until really the end of my collegiate career. So running post-collegiately again, hadn't really crossed my radar, um, until my fifth year I did well at NCAAs, um, and I became an all American and my coach said, have you ever thought of running after college? And I was like, no, I, I hadn't. And he was like, well, you should consider it. Um, but again, kind of common theme here, I had already committed to go to grad school in San Diego. Um, so I just continued to train on my own 
And then I, I joined a coach out in San Diego, Joaquin Cruz and trained with him and a few girls out there for a little while. Um, and then I actually ended up joining team boss, um, about three years ago now. And Joan, Emma, our Joe Bossard is our coach, Emma's husband, Emma Coburn's husband. And I ran with them in college at CU. Um, so when I had been home in between grad school and my dietetic internship, I just kind of started tagging along to some practices. And then I was fortunate enough for Joe to continue coaching me throughout my year of my dietetic internship. And then here I am almost two years later, still being coached by him. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I would say for me, it just kind of was continuing to run and compete at a high level. I'm not sponsored by a company. I'm actually unsponsored. Um, but, you know, I still compete in races um, that are considered like professional or, you know, elite races. Um, and that's what I still do now. No, I think it's really cool. It, it definitely answers the question and it leads a segue into my next question because you are a dietitian, which is what I think is so cool. And so I kind of wanted to know your story of being a runner and being a dietitian and how those two things mesh together. But it seems like you decided that you wanted to go study nutrition before you became a professional runner. And in your runner's world article, you said, I went from a walk-on to an all-American mainly because I was feeding my body the fuel it needed. So was there a moment that you kind of recognized that nutrition was really important? Because I feel like a lot of athletes don't always put two and two together that nutrition plays such a significant role. Yeah, absolutely. I was very fortunate my junior year at CU, they hired a sports dietitian, Laura Anderson, and she had a huge impact on both my career as an athlete and future career as a dietitian. Um, but I started working with her and I think the biggest thing that stands out to me, I mean, years later, I think, you know, a lot of things changed when I worked on my nutrition, but, um, I specifically remember, you know, at CU, we would finish a workout and then we would go right to the weight room and lift weights. And I would be so exhausted by the time I got to the weight room that I was like, I can't even imagine lifting weights right now let alone, then I would have to bike back to my apartment <laughs> and see you are like main where everybody lives off campus is called the Hill. So that gives you an idea of where I had to bike. I had to bike up <laughs> Hill. And so I just remember every day I was like, Oh my gosh, I am so tired. I can't do this. And Laura was like, well, why don't you start having something in between workout and weights, you know, have a chocolate milk. She started stocking the weight room with chocolate milks, which made a huge difference for us. Um, so I had a chocolate milk and all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I can get through this weight session and I can bike home and not feel like I'm going to fall off my bike because I'm so tired. Um, and that was really, I think when it clicked for me that how I fuel and when I fuel makes a huge difference, not only in how I'm feeling during my runs and training, but also afterwards and how I'm recovering. So that was kind of a big moment of significance for me in my journey with fueling and being an athlete in college. Yeah. I've actually uh, coached some collegiate swimmers who are expending so much energy and don't realize that they need to take in food to replace that energy. Right. It's, it's, it's interesting how just eating such a small thing, like a chocolate milk can really make a huge difference. Mm -hmm, exactly. When did you decide you wanted to become a dietitian? So it's kind of around that same time. I, when I started working with Laura, the dietitian at CU, I started 
of seeing a huge change in how I was responding to my training. So I was getting faster. I was recovering better from the sessions. I felt like I was moving up workout groups more quickly um, and just performing well, more consistently. And I was just shocked that no one else until she had been hired, no one else had ever mentioned nutrition to me. That's never a topic that we talked about. And I just was like, why don't more athletes get this information? You know, there needs to be more dietitians out there to help other athletes like me make that connection and use that kind of secret weapon of nutrition as a tool to improve their performance and stay healthy. And so that's really what inspired me to want to go on and become a dietitian and ultimately with the goal of working with other endurance athletes, because, you know, as I knew from being an endurance athlete, um, feeling makes all the difference when it comes to some of those long races and training. You seem to be the true poster child for sports nutrition. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you. you. You've lived it and now you're doing it. And it's true. Yes. It's, all the things you're saying are the things that sports dietitians are trying to teach is that it really does make a huge difference. And I always say sports nutrition is different than regular nutrition. It's mm -hmm. of course the principles are the same, but there's different rules and there's different reasons you're following those rules. And that's really per for performance. Um, so exactly. I think that's super awesome. So now you're the dietitian for team boss. What do you do as that in that role? Yeah. So I'm the dietitian for team boss, but I also actually have my own sports nutrition consulting business. I think with team boss, um, all of those athletes are so tuned into their bodies. And that's mostly what I found is in the transition from working with high school to college to post-collegiate athletes, the older they get, usually the more they know about nutrition. So um, my work is a little bit less, you know, what is a protein? What are, what are carbohydrates? And more, how can we adjust your fueling throughout the season so that you're peaking at the right time and you're staying healthy, you're not too lean? Um, just a little bit more advanced stuff like that. So with team boss, having everyone being a high level, you know, post-collegiate athlete, mostly what we do are body composition tests. And so I'm certified in something called ISAC and it's um, like skin fold measurements basically. And we do those every six to eight weeks just to make sure that no one is actually getting too lean too early in the season. So I think a lot of athletes think of body composition testing as being this negative thing where they're going to be told you need to lose weight or you have too much body fat, but it's actually the opposite for the athletes I work with. We want to make sure you have enough body fat to be in a healthy place to sustain that training and not get injured and that you're maintaining your menstrual cycle and there's no issues there. So it's a lot of fun for me just getting to practice in those skills and um, always encouraging athletes just to eat more. That's usually what I'm saying, but um, I would say typically for them, you know, we do a lot of the body composition stuff. And then if someone's struggling with GI issues or low energy, I'll meet with them. Um, and then, you know, the, the benefit to being their teammate and dietitian is that I'm at training camps along with them. So I always am reminding people to eat lunch, for example, or don't forget to have a snack. And I always help with the grocery list and the dinner planning. So um, it's kind of fun for me to get to be on both sides. That sounds really cool. And I'm sure it's also sometimes very minuscule tweaks to things when it comes to nutrition at such a high level. I, I know when I watch the New York City Marathon, it's interesting to see where they have water bottles placed, the professional runners. I always think about it like they must have that strategically placed at a certain 
place that Mm -hmm. they know they need fluid then. And it's probably got a certain amount in the water bottle. Like that's how uh, minuscule they get with their fueling. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's so interesting. And that's cool. Uh, Do you, um, I, I always find it interesting that high school athletes don't get a lot of nutrition guidance at all. Mm -hmm. And then when they move on to college, maybe they get some, and then the professionals obviously get more. I really wish that younger kids had nutrition guidance that, cause that's really when they develop as an athlete. Exactly. That's a big thing that I'm really working on right now. So I'm actually also a high school coach right now, actually for my former high school, uh, which is really fun for me, but that's a big thing that I'm really encouraging with the coach. Now he's great in that he's very progressive with wanting to encourage the athletes to focus on fueling now. Um, so I'm really working with the younger girls on developing a good relationship with food and understanding that connection between what they're eating and how they're feeling at practice. And, you know, a lot of times I think with high school, it's, oh, I feel terrible today. Oh, it's because I had Chipotle an hour ago. And it's a little bit less um, scientific and a little bit more like, well, you know, if you think about it, that probably was too much. And we need to focus on these things instead. So it's not usually a lot of hands-on work, but it is trying to get those wheels turning and and plant that seed so they do understand that connection. And of course, there are high schoolers that I work with in my private practice as well who maybe haven't gotten their period or have lost their period. And we work with them just to try to get that back. And, you know, how can you be healthy and have a long career in the sport and not compromise your body or your long-term health? Because obviously that's more important than your time as a runner. So it's, I completely agree with you. I think younger girls need a lot more education when it comes to nutrition, because it is such a critical time in their life when fueling affects their growth and all these other things that, you know, lead to potentially long-term health consequences down the road if they're under fueling. Yeah. I love that you brought up both losing your period and also talking about the professional athletes before being too lean. Those are certain things that are really a warning sign. I always say that even just in general for I deal with a lot of plant-based eaters and that switch to a plant-based diet. And one of the first things I ask is, are you losing weight when you're not trying to? Because that is actually not a good thing. You don't want to unintentionally right. lose weight. It's not, it's, a, it's usually not a good sign. And that's the same thing with losing your period. That's not something mm-hmm. that should happen. So I think that's great that you work with them to call attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big misconception that you know, I think a lot of dietitians are working to fight that now. And the social media can be a great tool for that because you can kind of say, Hey, look, maybe you've heard from your doctor. Oh, it's normal because you're so active, but really it's not. And the more research that's being done, we're learning that that's really not a normal thing. And like you said, it's a red flag that something is wrong. Um, and usually, you know, if we catch it early, we can fix it before it becomes an issue, but it's always good to know that that's something to look for, especially if you're a parent or a coach of young female athletes, you know, just being aware of some of those warning signs are really important for the long-term health of your athletes. Totally. And you have a really cool nutrition philosophy in your runner's world article. You kind of talked about the foods you eat. But then you also said you're a strong believer in eating what you want when you want. And you said, my philosophy is food is fuel and all foods, even desserts fit into a nutrition plan. So can you talk to me a little bit about that and eating what you want when you want um, and just eating things like bagels and ice cream you talked about in there, (laughs) kind of your nutrition philosophy? Yeah. So that's always really surprising to the athletes that I work with when I tell them that I eat things like 
dessert or bagels or, you know, I have my burger with a bun and I have fries on the side. Um, I think that there is this misconception, especially among female athletes that, you know, carbs are bad and certain foods are bad and they're going to make you a bad athlete. And that's really not true at all. It's all about balance and not about what you can take away from your diet, but what you can add to it to make sure that you're supporting that training that you're doing. Um, because I always tell athletes, you know, what's the point of putting in all this time with training if you're not also focusing on the fueling, which is going to be a huge factor in how your body is responding to that training. So, you know, for me, it's understanding that your body knows what it needs. So if your body is telling you that it's hungry, it's probably because you need some food. Um, I hear another thing I hear from a lot of athletes is, oh, well, I should probably just wait until my next meal to eat well, what if your next meal is not for another two hours, you know, and then you're missing all this, this fueling window that your body is telling you it needs to be um, fed. And so just understanding what I really meant by, you know, eating what you want when you want is listening to what your body is telling you eating when it's telling you, you should be eating um, and kind of honoring those hunger and fullness cues that your body is sending you because they're there for a reason. Um, and then just, like I said, understanding that there's no one food that's going to make you a good or a bad athlete. It's all about balance and making sure you're getting enough carbohydrates, you're getting enough protein. Um, you know, you're having your fruits and veggies, but you're also allowing yourself to enjoy some of those quote unquote, less healthy foods like the ice cream or, or cake or things like that. But all foods can give us something that we need as an athlete. It's just a matter of figuring out that balance and prioritizing more nutrient dense foods when it's appropriate and maybe allowing some of those less nutrient dense foods at times that it makes more sense in your training. Yeah. And essentially what you're talking about is kind of the intuitive eating movement, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. saying that all foods fit and you should really listen to your body. Um, and that was kind of developed to move away from restrictive eating. And I, I feel like restrictive eating and food rules and eating disorders are very pervasive within the running community. There, there's a lot of them. So mm -hmm. do you see that coming up a lot? Absolutely. All the time. I would say probably 95% of the people that I work with have some, um, you know, either history of an eating disorder or disordered eating behavior or some of those food rules, like you talk about, um, you know, maybe feeling guilty when they eat a certain type of food or not allowing themselves to have ice cream during the season and only eating ice cream in the off season. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of that just comes down to some of these misconceptions that have been put out there by diet culture, which isn't meant for athletes. You know, that's the big distinction I always make to my athletes. A lot of the things you're hearing and seeing on social media aren't geared towards you. They're geared towards general population who is looking to prevent heart disease or some of these other things. But when you're running 60, 70 miles a week, your needs are not that, you know, we're not trying to prevent you from having high blood pressure because you definitely don't have high blood pressure. You know, we're trying to make sure that you're getting enough carbohydrates and protein and fat to support all of that energy that's being expended during your training and also making sure that you're staying healthy. So just understanding, helping athletes understand that there's a difference between general population and athletes and how some of those food rules often stem from recommendations for general population. And then just kind of busting those myths, you know, why is this not, why does this not apply to athletes? You know, what can you do 
to make sure you're getting what you need and, and not allowing some of those former thoughts to make you feel bad about what you're eating, because that's ultimately what you should be doing as a high level athlete. I'd also love to get your opinion on race weight. So this is something that I hear often that people, mm. and this is just among everyday athletes as well, want to lose weight to get to a certain I guess, amount of pounds for their race. Cause they think if they're leaner, they're faster. And that's the weight that they run their fastest uh, race at what, I mean, obviously I kind of know what you're going to say to that based on your answers to the last two questions. Well, what do you think about that idea? Yeah. I love that question because it's when I get all the time from athletes, you know, it's how do I get to my race weight? And my question is what does race weight really mean? You know, number on the scale is not giving us the whole picture. Um, you know, you could see that number go down, but that doesn't mean that it's fat loss. That could mean that you're losing muscle mass because you're not being fueled properly. So let's say, you know, you want to be 130 pounds on race day and you're 133 a few days before. And so then you, you know, get down to 130. Well, what have you really lost? Maybe some water. So maybe you're dehydrated and we already know that being dehydrated is not going to help you perform better. Um, you know, maybe it's muscle mass that you lost. So if you lost muscle mass, you're not going to have that same power and you're not going to be able to sustain your effort during your race. So again, you're not going to race better. So to that, I would say it's better to be a few pounds above your goal race weight and be properly fueled, properly hydrated, you know, ready to go than it is to try to restrict your fueling leading into that race to hit a certain number, but then not perform well because you're dehydrated, you're underfueled, you're exhausted. So race weight, I think is, is kind of an outdated concept that I think people need to move away from. Um, I also see a lot of athletes weighing themselves before races. And if it's not the number they want to see, they get in their head and they say, Oh, I'm not ready to race. And they let that number on the scale determine how their race is going to go. When in reality, if they'd never seen that number, they might've just had the race of their life because they're fueled and they're fit and they're ready to go. Um, so I think just, you know, moving away from using that number on the scale as a determining factor for your race is really important for athletes just because it's not telling the whole story. I'm sure leaner does not always mean faster. I'm sure it doesn't exactly. mean faster most of the time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it depends on how you get there. So that's the biggest thing. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you think that everyday athletes can learn from the pros in terms of, I guess, in terms of nutrition, but also fitness or anything really that you think? Yeah, I think just generally understanding that it's not about just the training. It's about what you're doing outside of the training. That's really going to make a big difference. Um, you know, prioritizing sleep, getting enough to eat, focusing on hydration throughout the day. These are all things that are going to contribute to how you feel during training and racing. So I think a lot of times pros understand that balance and understand the concept of rest and recovery to an extent that a lot of people don't because they don't give themselves that time. And I think a lot of people underestimate where they are in terms of being an athlete. I hear a lot of people say, oh, but I'm not an athlete, but they're still running, you know, 40 miles a week. And I'm like, well, I would definitely consider you an athlete. You're prioritizing your running, you're training for an event, you're an athlete. Um, you know, and, and I think just understanding that you deserve to fuel and you deserve to recover and rest just like any other athlete. Um, and I think pro athletes do a great job of showing for the most part, what that looks like, which is kind of 
um, a fun insight for people who maybe have never been exposed to that lifestyle before. You just hit on one of my biggest pet peeves, which is people who spend so much time exercising and then say they're not an athlete. I don't understand that. I have clients who will spend 60 minutes on their Peloton bike five days a week and then get off of it and do 30 minutes of strength training. And they're like, but I'm not an athlete. I'm like, yes, you are. You were spending so much time worrying about, you know, or thinking about fitness and dedicating yourself to fitness. And there's different levels of that. So I think also one of the things that you can kind of learn from looking at the pros is that they, they have the time to think about their nutrition and their sleep and how everything kind of comes together. And, um, you should kind of learn from that and and make a little more time for yourself to do Mm -hmm. the things as well. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Have you noticed an increase in plant-based eating among runners? I, I noticed that there's a lot more talk about vegan athletes in general, mm-hmm. but and plant-based and vegan we know are different, but mm-hmm. I've noticed an increase in both. So what do you think? Yeah, I definitely have noticed an increase in plant-based runners, especially ones that I'm working with. Um, I think a big reason behind that was game changers for a while there, which I always tell people, you know, if you're, if you're becoming vegan because of that documentary, you know, let's sit down and really talk this through and decide if this is a good fit for you, because you don't have to be a vegan to be a good athlete. However, I think the plant-based athletes out there, you know, usually they're more in tune with what they're eating because they do have to pay so much more attention to making sure they're getting all the nutrients that they need. So that's always what I encourage athletes to do. If you are plant-based or considering going plant-based, you know, don't just make that decision on your own and try to do it on your own. I highly encourage you to sit down with a registered dietitian, somebody who can really go through it with you, weigh the pros and cons, talk about how to transition into that safely so that you're staying fueled and supporting that training. Um, and sometimes for the athletes I work with, we start with a meatless Monday, you know, how can we transition slowly and help ease you into that, you know, instead of just going from one day eating meat and everything to the next day, not. And that's when I start to see a lot of runners suffer from just under fueling because they're not understanding their needs. So I think just, it's important to know that you're getting what you need as a plant-based athlete and understanding that switching to plant-based in and of itself won't necessarily do anything for your performance and could potentially harm it. So just like I said, meeting with a dietitian is always what I recommend. (laughs) Yeah. And going off of the last thing you said, do you ever kind of push people away from being a vegan or doing something restrictive like that? Because it, it is restrictive. It's sometimes Mm -hmm. hard to do, and it's not always easy to do it in the most healthy way. Yeah, that's a great question. So usually the first question I ask them is why do you want to become vegan or plant-based. And usually their response is something like, well, I I think it's going to make me a better athlete. Sometimes it has to do with, you know, concerns for the environment or ethical reasons. Um, But a lot of times too, what I'm looking for is a history of disordered eating or an eating disorder. And a lot of times that can kind of manifest in, oh, I want to try this new diet that cuts all these things out. So I can say I'm a vegan And no one's going to ask questions when I don't eat meat or dairy or ice cream or whatever, because they'll just think it's because I'm vegan. So if it's coming from a place of wanting to be restrictive, 
that's usually a red flag for me. And I try to kind of talk them down from that and encourage them to explore more of why that's really what they're wanting to do. If it's for ethical environmental reasons, or that's just something that they're interested in doing, you know, again, I kind of assess, well, where are we right now? Are you properly fueled without cutting those things out? If the answer is no, if they're already struggling to prioritize fueling, if they're already struggling with time constraints or knowing how to prepare food, I say, well, do you really think cutting out more food is going to make that better? And the answer is usually, yeah, I guess not, probably not. Um, but you know, if there's somebody who has a good understanding of nutrition, they're good at grocery shopping, preparing food, they understand how to use different ingredients. I think it's a lot easier to make that transition if you're in a place that it, you know, you have that, that those skills and that knowledge. Um, so it just depends on where the athlete is for me. I, I don't, I don't like to tell athletes what to do one way or the other. I just like to help guide them to that decision so that they're making the right decision for them and where they're at with their nutrition and training. I think you just made the case for why someone should meet with a dietitian because (laughs) at the end of the, (laughs) no, it's true. At the end of the day, this is what a dietitian does. They take into account your individual needs, your individual lifestyle, and they come up with a plan that works for you. They're never going to say this is the best diet and this is exactly what you should do, which is some of the things that you get when you are on social media or you Google a diet Mm -hmm. or things like that. That's usually a a good dietitian at least won't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, you just so I love that. That's like the individual approach. Everyone is different in their needs. And yeah, that's uh making the case for dietitians. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this was enlightening. I loved hearing all about what you do and how you became a dietitian and how you really focus on nutrition in your career. Uh, where can people find more from you? Yeah, so um, my business is called Fueling Forward. So I do have my own website, um, fuelingforward.com. And I'm also on Instagram as fueling underscore forward. That's my um, nutrition account. And then my personal account, which has a lot more of my running and things like that, is madsalm12 on Instagram. (laughs) So I'm on both places. I got to follow you there. I've been following your nutrition stuff, which I, I need, I like it, but of course I know it. I want to see you as a runner. Sure. Yeah. There you go. I've got both. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleats or visit my website at greenleats.com.